0: Going to get
1: out of town this week. That's the plan. After, <laughs> uh, even though I haven't gotten my newsletter done because what? No. T- <laughs> uh, between my getting sidetracked on like three different things, and then my preliminary financing model person uh, not responding to me after meeting with him. I, I asked for six grand, but um, he didn't respond. And then uh, he went on vacation till the 5th. <laughs> so it's like, just nothing, my, my timing and, and uh, plans just don't line up lately. I see. And I'm scheduled to go on Becker's show on Wednesday. And that's my last commitment that I have until July 19th. Nice. I, I've literally blocked out July 1st to, I got to be back for the uh, Bismarck Special Assessment Task Force reboot on the 19th. But in between there, I literally have stacked nothing intentionally.
0: Vacation time. Well, you earned it. Should be fun to get away if you're able to. Are you serving on that special assessment task force thing, or are you just um, commenting or participating in the? In the I, I'm
1: serving on it. I, I was uh, initially Sorry appointed. I'm a, I
2: was just having connectivity issues.
0: Well, you're you're here now. Thanks for joining us. Go ahead, Dustin. You're talking about the special assessment.
1: I, I I serve on it as a voting member. Uh, okay. The I was appointed, ironically, by Mike Seminary before I helped. Boot him for one of the his best
0: office. moves. Yes. Yeah. One yeah. His-
1: yeah. I think that was his, 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 uh, Hail Mary was, well, if I put him <laughs> on here, maybe he won't come after me. And, well, anyway, uh, yeah, you know, we, 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 uh, we met for a year and a half back in t- between April of 17 and August of 18, I think it was. And, uh, you know, then we found out that what we had, Come to a unanimous agreement on with all the special interests, like the the Chamber of Commerce and the home builders and the developers and everybody. We all came to this uh, unanimous agreement that a a pathway to replacing special assessments with a monthly fee would be good for everybody. Uh, it will help fixed income people. Uh, it will eliminate the need for people to you know uh, have their Eventually, have their homes priced down because of how many, how much they owe on specials, um, and uh, the problem was, of course, that at that time, state law did not allow the city to do such a thing. So, in 2019, we tried to get the state legislature to fix it. They didn't want anything to do with it because we couldn't give them enough details. 2021, 20, we came back. Um, not exactly any more new details. And, and in fact, the report that the city commissioned and spent, I think, $40,000 to get done was not very good, frankly, uh, in my view, did not actually make the case. In my view, it actually made the case harder um, because of the way that they went about it. And and we discovered that it was because the consultant that was hired what did not have any background on what we, as a task force had come up with. Like we ran all sorts of numbers. We came up with the profile for you know the 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 idea is if we eliminate specials and then we keep the monthly feed every dwelling unit down to twenty five or less, which is you know, I said the cost of Hulu and Netflix in a month. that though you know that's kind of a level that people will allow for. Uh, a monthly fee if it if it's offsetting something else to come in and they came in they did not use any of our data any of our year and a half of research <clears throat> and they came up with their own model out of the blue reinventing the wheel in a way that wasn't necessarily good for the whole proposal so now we're we're reconvening some <clears throat> some members have been switched out and uh <coughs> and uh so we're going to have some new voices in there, but enough of the originals are going to be grandfathered in, as I requested, uh, so that we don't lose too much uh, institutional knowledge from the first go round, and that uh, you know we don't we don't. Uh, I know there's several city staffers have switched jobs and retired that were involved in the first go, and so there we're going to have you know kind of a, a remedial. Situation: The first couple of meetings, getting everybody up to speed on where things are at, what the state will allow us to do. But I think that I, I don't suspect that we'll have anything ready for showtime by twenty by the twenty twenty two election. But probably twenty twenty four is the more realistic time period to to be able to start pitching a plan to voters um, and and showing that this does work. Uh, and that it will not be a tax increase over the long haul. It'll actually be a tax decrease over the long haul for the 97% of the people who end up getting hit with, you know, a $5,000 special assessment out of the blue and and don't know how to deal with it. So, yeah, so yeah,
0: that sounds awesome. Um, I had a question of clarification, Mm -hmm. $25, a dwelling dweller, (laughs) Uh, were you guys taxing um, apartment dwellers?
1: Yeah, the, the idea was. That
0: lives in, in, a, in a city in Bismarck?
1: Yeah, the, the idea was that by applying a fee towards dwelling units, we eliminate the, the differential between residentially zoned property that's used for residents and commercially zoned property that's used for residents. I actually was on the committee because at the time I was living in a mobile home. And I think that's the only reason I ended up on it was, you know, because I was the only applicant <laughs> living in a right. mobile home. And, and uh, you know, one of the big controversies in Bismarck over the last 10 years has been the fact that mobile home parks are zoned commercial, but they are far more, they operate it more like a residential than mm-hmm. a multi-unit uh, apartment building does and and so by by applying a per dwelling unit fee we we make it more fair for everybody involved including the, the landlord and property owner but also we take away that extra excuse for landlords to jack up rent because traditionally you know if the landlord has uh, a special assessment or tax increase that is equivalent to say ten dollars a unit—that's an excuse for them to jack it up twenty-five dollars. And then you know they say, "Well, the city—it's the city's fault. I can't control it." Well, by taking by taking things off of the landowner and property owner's plate uh, as far as governmental costs, we reduce the number of excuses they have to arbitrarily jack up rents, other than natural inflationary forces
0: right i like it it would say it would save me a lot in in our special assessments for sure um so interested to see how this comes out i think it's a really interesting idea because um i don't know anyone that really likes the special assessments coming coming in randomly at random seemingly random numbers um
1: the only people that like the special assessment system are the developers that that do greenfield development and use the bank's bonding capacity or, and use the city's bonding capacity as their own bank for projects right. that a private bank ne- not, would not necessarily fund on their behalf. Very true. Uh, so, you know, th- there's some developers that, that have voluntarily discontinued the use of specials on new developments, like Chad Walker up in Silver Ranch. There's no specials up there. He's not passing anything along the city. His lot rent or his lot prices do go up $20,000, $25,000, but. When you're able to put that into your 30-year uh, mortgage rather than paying it to the city on a usually seven year uh, time span uh, you add in refinancing at, at the end of the day you're you're paying less and your annual cost is less right. so you know for for everybody involved it's better now the only argument Against that is that it makes it creates a barrier for entry for small developers, but there's really only in Bismarck five developers for land, and four of them are big enough that they can self finance or a bank will throw them as much cash as they need to get done because they've got a track record and and they're not going to go under. Uh, there's really only one that's kind of leveraged to the point where they would have trouble. But I think that if the dynamics were changed, uh, you know, that that person just has to uh, take a different approach.
0: Right. Interesting stuff, Dustin. Well, welcome to the No Name Podcast. This is Ryan Warner joined by Dustin Gavrilo and Dr. Ellie Shockley. Hey, gang. It's been a couple weeks. Lots to talk about. I know we got a hard stop here at three o'clock. Um, I was interested to talk a little bit about what Dustin's working on the special assessments. Um, as a, as a, li- a landowner here in Bismarck, um, one of the things you learn when you, you, you learn a lot when you own a house for the first time or the second time and, uh, surprise costs like special assessments or other taxes that come up, um, are one of those things where you're like, oh, I didn't know about this. This kind of sucks. And nobody, nobody told me about this. Uh, so it's good to, um, let everyone know about that and to pass it on to everyone i really like that idea um spread the cost really um and 25 dollars a month is very very minimal um but welcome everybody i think uh we we have a check a check in in, in order how's y'all's last couple weeks gone um ellie we heard from dustin earlier how's how's your last couple of weeks gone
2: hey um well, just a, a note on special assessments. I'm relatively new to home ownership myself. Um, had my house not quite five years, and I, yeah, I would say the surprise element is definitely the
0: Ellie. I think we lost you.
2: Years, so you know you got time. Oh, sorry. How about now?
0: Now you're good. We we heard nothing, unfortunately. Okay. Sounded good.
2: Oh, I'm I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> you broke um, up, you broke up and I was for a good 30 seconds there.
2: Cool. Uh sorry about that. I don't know what's going on um with my house's connectivity. I should have called in the old fashioned way. See, now you know why I did it all the time. Um, I guess I'm just saying the special assessments are surprising and that is really difficult to deal with sometimes. And, you know, I understand that we need, we need taxes to pay for things, but we have to kind of just, I don't know, meet people, meet people where they're at and realize that monthly budgeting is just a lot more normal for people. Um, and these surprises are unpleasant and they feel like, Oh, a can got kicked down the road. And now you, you know, <laughs> have to deal with this kind of ad hoc and I would prefer more systematic approaches. So that's my thoughts on that. But, um, yeah, over the past couple of weeks, I've been just focused on resting a bit, recalibrating a bit, um, figuring out, you know, what, what my next moves are, what my main priorities are. I wasn't quite sure, you know, how I was going to feel after the school board run. And and uh, I'm sort of in a little bit of a processing and information intake phase where I'm sort of I'm strategically considering, you know, what are my endeavors and where are my efforts most useful? One thing that I'm still processing and not really sure, you know, I'm still working on figuring out where to go from there is in terms of like allyship to people of color as a white person and I think you know as as white folks go I'm not of the most naive variety I think I I do have a better handle on racism than a lot of people but it really is different to it's just never the same you know you'd really don't know what it's like to be Native American in North Dakota or you know another minority group and another setting. Um, if you're not if you're not, you know, experiencing that firsthand, it's not the same. Sometimes you can have experiences though where you might get a more of a glimpse than other times. And I think those are learning experiences that they can be very, very painful. It can be very difficult, but I think that it's important to find a way to make them meaningful and sort of accept the lesson that you're being taught. Um, in the context of my school board race, I did encounter a lot of really ugly racism and then some racism that was like, not as viscerally ugly and harsh, but like, it was just these people who just really don't see Native American people as actually people and people who should really know better. Um, You know, I was disappointed by people who aren't like, you know, sort of the quintessential rabid racist, still not understanding that listening and respect are important by virtue of people's humanity. And it made me realize just how apartheid like my community is. It was striking because on the other hand, you know, Native Americans in my community are very alienated from institutions, feel unwelcome, really feel out of place and feel a lot of hostility and, you know, still get like mean mugged in parking lots and like really uncomfortable stuff. And it's a real struggle and it's scary. It's living with a low key hum of a little bit of terrorism and plenty of marginalization. And it's just really painful to reckon with. And that's kind of what my school board campaign became about to me because talking to people about my stance, which is that we need to consult the Native American families in our community about how to approach the mascot given that we're building a new high school and we want to get it right moving forward and that people just i mean flew off the handle like they want nothing to do with that idea i mean just like like it's just intense to be so unwilling to listen to those families and it just it, it was so bad that it really shook me and um I think it just means that white allyship is at a different stage than sometimes we realize. And sometimes we're dealing with a situation that is just so like old school, deeply entrenched um, dehumanization. And um, I feel inclined to read up on like uh, successful movements in other countries to move forward on apartheid-like conditions, um, you know, and, um, and maybe read about the unsuccessful ones too, to kind of compare, because I just read an account like that. And it, it's just been really painful. So, and, and this can, is just getting kicked down the road. I mean, people can get mad at me all they want, but like, I mean, let's be real. We're really not going to revisit the logo for the Braves and building this new high school. I mean, what a joke. Like I just refuse to accept that level of like not living in reality or cowardice or whatever that is. And, uh, so I'm like, all right, guys, (laughs) well, let's see what happens, you know? And I'm, I'm open to a lot of different solutions. I just think that, um, I don't think we should non-consensually continue to deploy the likeness of indigenous people without their consent. And I feel like that's a really modest proposal that like we just have consent and uh, I'm not, I'm not wrong and I'm not backing down. And so people can stay mad at me if they want, but anyway, I, so yeah, I'm just kind of, That's where I'm at with that, Um, exasperated, frustrated. And also I have not wanted to come to my friends of color with my white tears about this. Like they don't, I mean, you know, they'll just be like, yeah, it is that bad. That's what we've been saying. And so I know that. So there is a little bit of a struggle in me just knowing how to process this information without being like a huge pain in the ass to people who have enough going on in their lives. So, yeah. But do you have questions or do you want me to tell you about the kind of goofy subject I wanted to share?
0: Well, I mean, my comment is um, it's the disappointing part is that it's not even a radical proposal that you're making, (laughs) but it had such a a backlash to it um, because you're just saying, well, let's talk about it. Hey, let's listen. Um, Maybe we'll do the same thing we're doing right now, but we haven't talked. We haven't taken a chance to talk about it in like, you know, whatever, 50, 60 years, whenever the they made the, the choice to make the, the mascot a brave in the first place. So you're just saying, talk about it. That's not even I mean, what's, there's no controversy well, about talking just to about
2: clarify. Something. I did say we should ultimately defer to native families. And by that, I meant if they say, no, we just have to completely ditch the Braves. I would back them. If they said, no, we want to keep the Braves, but let's do it respectfully. I would back them. So that's, so th- there is a, that's where I'm like, like just a dash of radical, just a t- <laughs> just tiniest little bit.
1: Yeah, you, I, I, oh, go ahead, Dustin. Have you run my wild idea by anybody?
2: I don't think I have because I don't want to. I'm I'm I don't want to ruin the idea by talking about it too much and getting the wrong <laughs> people involved. I, I'm protecting it, so. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Dustin had some um, ideas that I am extremely open to. And Well, basically, yeah. So what I'll say is that what makes me sleep well at night is the idea that we start treating our Native neighbors with respect. And if that means we ditch the mascot, I back them. If that means we embrace another mascot and like all the white and or conservative folks in town get really excited about that mascot and that mascot's not a middle finger to native people like cool i am i am so down for anything better than the status quo because I, i know that native people do have diverse opinions on this but none of them are like this is great as it is like some people like are cool with respectful approaches to mascots. Other people feel like, no, we really do have to phase them all out. And that's for them to decide, you know? Um, but, but if the solution is something that, um, that the people who are angry at me right now <laughs> can actually enjoy and like, go have fun with that's, I, you know, I'm not so much of a hater. Like I'm cool with it.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other thing that was uh, I was thinking about when you were speaking is that um, some of your tactical choices the second time, time around, I was wondering if you had any reflections on on those. Because um, I, I had a chance to volunteer a little bit in both campaigns. So I, I was able to see what you changed. And uh, from my point of view, the changes you made were good changes. Um, I think your, your flyer in the second run was better, more concise. Um, More visually appealing and then your choice to um target um the in the first year you targeted the districts or the parts of um, your campaign ground that uh, typically vote and then the second year um, second go around you went towards people that you thought were more likely to vote for you but maybe didn't necessarily vote as much quite as often and uh, so i got to walk both of those neighborhoods and i would say the first year was kind of uh, the, a newer part, new Mandan, I'd say, kind of outside the Mandan proper, at least what I considered to be Mandan when I was growing up. And um, so newer houses probably since the 90s and, and beyond were built in the last 20, 30 years. And then the second round, go around, it was more kind of old new Mandan, <laughs> uh, the, the places that were built in maybe the early to late 80s, where we actually where my... Um, My great aunt and uncle used to live was the neighborhood that I walked the second time around. And so it was interesting to walk those neighborhoods, um, this year. And and, then last year, um, the, the very idiosyncratic differences that I noticed, which was, um, the people in the newer part of Mandan, uh, typically had dogs and children. Lots. I mean, I saw so many kids playing when I walked last year outside. And, um, when I walked the, this year, there was absolutely no kids outside and no dogs, but lots of cats in windows. Like I saw, probably ten cats in windows. So maybe it was a slightly older part of Mandan and people that like cats. I don't know, um, but it was fun. It was fun both times. And so I think you you um, you made rational uh, improvements choices to your campaign. Do You have any um, any further reflections on some of those tactical choices you made in the, in the campaign itself? You know, obviously one one year was COVID full-blown COVID situation. In the second year, it was different, but any, any tactical reflections, Ellie?
2: So one thing you may not be aware is that last year, I also, um, lit dropped in trailer parks or mobile home p- parks. So, um, so this year was sort of like, I didn't, I wasn't really around mobile homes so much, but I was around a different kind of, you know, lower income working class areas. So it was like last year was more diverse than it might seem, and um, well, I have a really weird answer to your question. Um, I kind of don't do anything in isolation. There's really nothing that I'm doing is like this is just for my school board race. Like pretty much everything I do has fits into some like, like you know, six month plan, one year plan, five year plan, you know. And so I just realized how little I actually know about Mandan in a lot of ways. And I, as a result, I have not been actually particularly entitled in any of these elections. I know that I can do what I do and say what I say, but ultimately I haven't lived here that long. And name recognition is huge for good and bad, bad reasons. I mean, there is something to be said for a person being a recognized member of the community and that there is that there's that's a vetting process I do have respect for. And so not that naive about my likelihood of winning and realizing part of it is because, well, like I don't even know some of these neighborhoods. Like, who do I think I am? And so I am partly experimenting, not just in terms of, okay, here's one ground strategy I could try, but I'm literally like, well, I already went there. I want to go somewhere different. And coming up with a way to approach it differently, it's an experiment for me. And so um, covering that turf helps me know my community better. And I kind of feel like I've been over the last two elections been like surveying on the ground you know last year the, the reason I knew Doug Larson was doing so well is because I was all over the city in weird little places you know I went to this neighborhood in that neighborhood and like the signs are just everywhere and I was like holy shit and like but it just taught me something about the ground game and like seeing a lot of different stuff and so this year you know yeah I picked different turf for the reasons you described um just be, not only because I wanted to reach those people and thought maybe it would help. (laughs) I have a real problem with turnout of my constituency in that regard. So, uh, and I, you know, I am not, I'm not one of those people who's anger at people for not turning out. Like, I get it, you know? Um, but anyways, I'm experimenting this whole time basically. So I switched it up because I wanted to, I wanted to see a different turf and I wanted to learn new things. And you, it sounds like you took the opportunity yourself to learn a lot about that. And um, so cool. Thanks.
0: Yeah, I hadn't walked that neighborhood in, probably since the early '90s. And uh, so yeah, it was it was uh, it is good to just walk by someone's house, even walk up to their house, and you're doing the lit drop and just um, get a feel for the neighborhood and the people that live there, the kind of cars they have, the way they keep their yard, all all that stuff. Um, you know, and I had less one-on-one interactions too in the in this year than I did the previous year, which was odd because it was COVID times uh, the previous year, but it seemed like everyone was outside and like doing yard work and stuff. And um, in the time that I went uh, in that particular Friday, there was basically no one was out. It was almost um, like they had all left for vacation or something, it was weird, there was no one there. Um, But yeah, just the the physical act of walking through neighborhoods is really a good experience um, to gain knowledge you're not gonna get otherwise. So it, I appreciate it in that sense, but it sounds like you're just using it as a, a way to gather more data and learn more about your community, which I think is ultimately productive, you no know, win or lose.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, I it's like I'm experimenting to see how how much I can accomplish in mainstream politics, but that's not where my center of gravity is. So I'm like, cool, I'll run for office, do something really mainstream, but like my instincts are more like ground game and I, but I'm new here and it's kind of hard. Like I, you know, it's, I don't have a lot of people, people from Bismarck really don't give a crap. Like they don't really want to help me that much with organizing Mandan. And so I'm on a kind of slow burn approach by myself largely, as opposed to a part of some bigger collaboration. Although it's wonderful. My friends obviously help me drop literature, but Bismarck people are focused on Bismarck most of the time. Um so yeah. But um, Mandan
1: is a weird place because so much. I mean, I, I I divide Mandan into five distinct areas. It's old Red Trail, old, old, old red trail that was built prior to Walmart, uh, Fort Lincoln down south, uh Lakewood, Marina Bay, then Old Mandan and South of the Track, Trailer Parkland. Those are the five districts of Mandan. And Old Red Trail, Fort Lincoln, Lakewood Marina Bay are people who live in Mandan but don't really want to associate with Mandan. And then the rest of it is <laughs> Mandan stereotype. So so you've got that's the dynamic that you're always fighting and and people who they they are they, they, they want they, they don't want to be in Bismarck for whatever reason. Mostly it has to do with the fact that property used to be 25% less in Mandan, but now it's not so much. And, but they also don't really want to be attached to the Mandan stereotype. So yeah, there's a lot of different things going on there.
2: No, that really feels accurate. I don't think I could have articulated as much. I think my hunch is a little fuzzier. But yeah. And so, you know, I live in old Man Dan, And so I, but I work, so let's say I work with the other people you're talking about. And then I live among my group, which um, is, well, they're, like what as Ryan was kind of describing, there are a lot of older residents. They're not all doing so hot. I think it's easier to care for cats than dogs. You know, for I sure. think that's why, you know, there's the socioeconomic and the age factor there. And um And yeah, I think those other neighborhoods, yeah, they are younger families, um, but they're people who have a a, a genuine lawn to care for, not just like this little chunk of grass or whatever. Um, Some really key distinctions there. And, you know, this might sound like kind of me making an excuse, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I think like there were like maybe 12 to 1500 people who voted in the election. I'm not sure exactly how many, you know, I'm not really going to be that bent out of shape about that chunk of my community because yeah what did I say 12 to 1500 like I mean my community is substantially larger so I'm just kind of moving on but there are people who are really angry at me and I just I don't know I hope I had I did get to text message with some constituents who chilled out a little bit like I talked to several people who were willing to be honest over texts when I was like reaching out to them as a candidate of uh, you know they were disturbed by my <laughs> stance and I clarified it a little bit and some of them like they did kind of relax they realized that it was about information intake and for those who honestly believed that Native people would want to keep it uh the, you know they it can open them up a little bit to the idea of, okay, but we need their consent and feedback on how we approach it. And so I'm not, I did come out of that situation, not completely hopeless about some things. It was, it was difficult, but Ryan, can I tell you my other yes, or whatever? Okay. Um, so neither you nor your wife have ever identified to me who their spouse is. I didn't know. Anne was your wife. I've known her for longer than you. I didn't even know. I just pretended I knew when you guys showed up at Pride. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Um,
1: That's funny. That's like me finding out Doug Larson was my uh, storage unit neighbor (laughs) for four years and I didn't know it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it's just funny because I don't know if anyone's ever talked to you about this, Ryan, but there was this really weird stretch where my friends... Okay. I have some friends. I'm pretty convinced have a condition. It's not very rare, a condition of a difficulty of facial processing. Are you guys familiar with that condition? Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's like psychological, um, or perceptual really. And, you know, over my life, I've had, you know, several guy friends here and there have it. I haven't had it in a lot of gal friends. So I wonder if there is some sort of Y chromosome or the fact that you only have one X chromosome kind of thing going on, not sure. But I have these friends who really just recognize people by their haircut or the context or, you know, a lot of, because when they look at a face, they just don't really see features as very striking or standing out or identifiable from one person to another. So I feel like I have some friends like that in town. Um, and they hilariously, they systematically kept giving me credit for Anne's columns <laughs> because we look alike enough for somebody with like, you know, some facial recognition issues. And like our tones and our columns were similar enough for it to be believable that we were the same women. <laughs> and it was so weird. And I remember like I didn't really know her so much, but I reached out to her to tell her this because it was so absurd. And like it was just kind of a funny thing. Um, anyways, they, my friends realized their own silliness. Eventually, was just hilarious too. Like I kind of like when it was appropriate, I would kind of try to make it clear who I was talking about. You know, give Anne credit, but sometimes they just didn't even attend to my information and jump right into it. And then I didn't really want to embarrass them. Some sometimes it it got weird. Anyways, so it's it's hilarious in retrospect that I didn't know all along that your wife is this fellow community columnist that my friends kept inappropriately credit. They kept crediting crediting me for her writing. Uh, did you know about that?
0: Yeah. She told me about that.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: I had a good chuckle.
2: <laughs> it was so weird. And I just think, yeah, these guys really, they are not very good. I mean, she and I had like look similar. Like we do look similar in certain ways, but you should be able to like, rec- you know, pick your friend out of uh, of a photograph. I don't know. Anyways, i can tell you parts
0: <laughs> i yeah, can tell I you hope apart. so yeah
2: she's a lot taller than me
0: she is she's got a good what five inches on you
2: <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that i just wanted to say that once and for all that uh it was news to me that you guys are married but i know you, i knew you're both married to a person and i knew yeah. that you both it's were true. parents so
0: that's us yeah, that was fun. It was it was nice to get out and see people. Uh, this is the Pride Parade or Pride. I guess it wasn't a parade. It was a Pride stand. What, what was the What was the official event title? Pride at the Capitol.
2: Um, Capital Pride.
0: Capital Pride.
2: Um, okay. but I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, they used to call it Pride in the Park, but it's not a park. So.
0: Yeah, it anyway. was cool. It was nice to get out and see people. I hadn't seen Pride person in a while and uh it was an excuse to make some jorts My wife gave me a lot of shit about my jorts but these are jean they're shorts back everybody. In style. Jorts.
1: GQ says they're in style.
0: I had a hole in my jorts <laughs> and I was like, it's okay and it's pride. You can do anything pride." <laughs> and I True. did I and no one fair. said anything. It was fine.
2: It's just funny yeah, it's that it's pride. It's funny that Mr as a child, I refused to wear jeans, is now an adult like celebrating his jorts. Like that's funny.
1: (laughs)
0: Jorts are sweet. Jorts are, they're super comfortable and they're very summery and and you can go in, they're just very, very versatile and they're fun to make. Like I cut some, I cut some jeans that, that did have a hole that otherwise are unwearable, but I was like, jorts, pride. It's the perfect combination
1: see j- jorts are, are rebelling against jeans so it works into That's his right. motif
0: I'm A rebel a jeans rebel a jort man and then it was also i don't know wow. you were there longer than you were there the whole day i i strolled in at the very end because i'm in a, in a war against the sun when it's the summertime and didn't want to come during high sun and would prefer next time, if anyone's listening, I would prefer that the, the Capital Pride starts at like four and goes to 10. It's much cooler when it's nighttime. And um, I would just prefer that personally. But I was there at the very end and did see a little counter protest action, which um, you were there longer. So I want to get your take on, on the counter protesters, Ellie. They were kind of lame, I think. I'll, I'll go that far. Uh, because they weren't even adults, they were like children. Uh, young, young male adolescents in very repressive clothing. It was a very hot day. That's the thing that stood out to me is that it was a super hot day and they were like dressed in tight Wranglers and like boots and like a button down shirt with like long sleeves. I was like, what? This is this you're if you've come to a protest. You can't you have to be comfortable to really get a good protest in and uh, you seem very repressed in your outfit. How can you hope to protest? That was my my take, but I, I wasn't there They're that long. They're a type they...
2: of foot soldier. They're a type of foot soldier, <laughs> and that's the uniform, I guess.
0: That's the uniform. Um, oh, so impressive. What,
2: what what I heard is that one of the you know anti gay policy orgs, whatever they are, uh, sent out some kind of message to its collaborators and stakeholders and whatnot, like we will not be at pride. It is happening on the Capitol at this time on this date. And so like this kind of thinly veiled, like but you guys should go protest. And that's what I heard. And at first I didn't know what was going on. I thought, you know, okay. So I grew up in an area where being gay and being Christian was not as inherently at odds culturally. And so I was familiar with people who, were Christian and pro-gay. Like to me, that's not that out there, that crazy. So at, so when at first they were handing out little like little mini Bible passages or something, I just thought it was just a Christian who's not afraid, you know, who's who's one of, you know, the, the missionary types, like the ones who go out and try to recruit, but just not afraid of LGBTQ people. Like I I still don't always anticipate the bigotry because I it's not always what I've seen. And then I later realized and I wasn't even sure what people were upset about at first, just because my mind went to those types of Christians, which are real in the DC area, at least, or at least they were when I was growing up. And so um, anyway, turns out the guy was being, at least the guy I saw get escorted out was being really obnoxious, but I missed a lot of the detail, but someone was um, followed until he left. So that was a thing.
1: Um, yeah. And
2: I I want to share that just side note about the sun. I got sunburned in a really stupid place. I got sunburned on oh no. the backs of my knees because that's where I failed. <sighs> that's to be a bad good spot. Putting sunscreen.
0: It's a bad spot, Ellie. I hope that's healed by now. And I, w- I want to give a shout out to the Bismarck PD because I saw their reaction to the whole thing and they were great. Whoever those two officers were, they did a fantastic job diffusing the situation. And, um, you know. Just kind of rectifying it in, in 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 the moment in time. So great job, Bismarck PD.
1: Be nice to put these uh, some of the those types of of both sides into a little cage fight together, right? Like the the, the three guys that were at the the pro Trump rally that were trying to cause trouble because they were leftists, and 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 then these guys. It'd be nice to just put them in like a ten by ten pen for like two <laughs> hours and let them work their differences. as like my comment to la a few weeks ago let's put all the culture warriors and the social justice warriors on an island for a couple of weeks and let them hash it out
0: they'd probably be friends at the end
2: there are leftists too or they wouldn't really be there <laughs> yeah there but there are people who really really want to physically fight they really do oh, yeah,
1: yeah we, like, we know a few of them yeah.
2: itching itching <laughs> for uh yeah um and you know, I I'm looking to demonstrate I'm not looking to fight for what it's worth. So <laughs> well, thanks Just for the clarification,
0: <laughs> Ellie. There's still time to be, be a fighter. <laughs> I don't I don't start fights, I end fights. That's what I tell people.
2: Yeah, fair enough. And I definitely let them throw the myself. first punch.
0: Yeah. Let them throw the first punch. Then I can sue them after the fact, take their house.
1: See, my my first experience with counter protesting, I may have Mentioned this once was in in Silver Springs, Maryland, LA, uh, and and I was working when I was getting trained by the Leadership Institute, and we went down to the Code Pink protest at one of the recruiter stations, and we had a guy in a chicken suit and he had a sign that said "Chickens for Peace" and he infiltrated the Code Pink people and took them an hour and a half to realize that he was not one of them. It was just hilarious. Like he was just like rah like. They didn't realize the joke and they didn't realize that he was one of us. I mean, that that's how I was trained. I mean, if you're gonna do it, do it in a hilarious way. Like I agree. That's how you disrupt the other side, is you you, you make them look stupid. You don't do stuff to make yourself look stupid.
2: I think like the antics that are accepted in the D.C. area are just so different. <laughs> like I I wanted to do some weird stuff at a demonstration here a couple of years ago when I was kind of new to town. And I remember this Waylon Hedegaard being like, look, like that just isn't received like that here. And him just like explaining me, like just going super weird with it, just really weird people out. Uh, rather than being entertaining. And I think people's a tolerance for weirdness just in the D.C. area is just different. And so that's even a place where, I mean, people wearing random costumes and infiltrating all kinds of things, not even just politics, was just like something weird people would do. Um, I mean, I even had a friend in college who would put on a gorilla suit and like crash like a classroom. like, And that's that's North Carolina, but he's from Pennsylvania. So it's that mid-Atlantic just weird um anyway so i just kind of like yeah people do weird stuff kind of fun stuff out there and here i think i don't know we'd have to people are so uncomfortable with anything surprising that i think i don't know maybe we could train people to find costumes funny and enjoyable as opposed to um extremely concerning i don't know
1: were either of you here in bismarck when the skateboarding wizard was around I don't think so. So there was a guy here in town and he would dress up in a purple wizard suit with a, with a specter and a hat and everything. And he was a skateboarder. So he, he would skateboard around and it would be like 95 degrees out. And he was in this big getup, <laughs> just skateboard and run. And it's like, Oh, the wizard's out today. And this went on for like two months. Like everybody was just like, who is this guy? Where'd he come from? And then he just disappeared. Like nobody knows where he came <laughs> from, where he went. He was just like this guy that, uh, you know, it was hilarious. It was in the newspaper. It was like a, it was like a running story in town. It, I mean, it's Bismarck. So it doesn't take much to tell a story, but it was hilarious. And he wasn't like a homeless dude. He was like a well-dressed, maybe 26, 27 year old. Like we all assumed that he was just like a marketing ploy for like Parallax games or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe one of the, you know, somebody was trying to get a Dungeons and Dragons uh, w- w- uh, World of Warcraft uh, club going or something. But, uh, yeah, he stuck, stood out like a sore thumb.
2: <laughs> See, I feel like that there, this, there could be the natural evolution of Ryan where he does something like that in 20 years. You know, Ryan, figure out what what's your moment. What, who are you going to be on public when you're just at that stage where you're like, you know what, I need to make a statement. Let's be a reverend. Yeah,
0: well, it's going to be, it's going to be, if it happens, it'll be less than 20 years. Okay. I'm in my prime right now, my prime weirdness. So,
1: and it's going to involve think, jorts.
0: Yes, <laughs> definitely. Have heavy jort components in anything I do. That's <laughs> weird. No, well, let's get weird, Ellie. Come on. The time is right. So much has changed since your earlier attempt at weirdness. Now that's I think it's true. appropriate. I think people and will
2: also, be very welcoming. It depends on your goals. So I think when Waylon was coaching me, he was assuming my goals were to remain palatable to the mainstream. And I think I'm just at this point where I just don't, I just barely even care. I'm just like, whatever. If I'm still getting a paycheck, who cares if people are a little side-eyeing me? I mean, so I'm, I'm, I think that <laughs> Waylon had political aspirations for me that clearly are not born out. So I can just do whatever I want at this point. Um, I mean, maybe I'll be happier anyway.
0: Yeah, let's get weird. We got to make Bismarck weird.
1: We can do it. in Austin and Portland already where that's supposed to happen?
0: No, this is the, the third. That's
1: the third.
2: keep weird. Okay, like keep Austin weird. But this is make Bismarck
1: weird. Oh.
0: Yes. This is a creative act. It's not a conservative so, act. So,
1: so make Bismarck weird is, is <laughs> the uh, counter to the uh, make Bismarck great again or something? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it can be greatly weird though I think that's possible i wanna i want to meet the wizard if the wizard's out there if the wizard's a listener call us up we we could do a special podcast investigative report
1: i should i wizard. should we, we should post on the on the uh bismarck people reporting news anybody know where the skateboarding wizard went and see just <laughs> what happens <laughs>
2: somebody knows him somebody does and they're just not talking so if we can yeah. find them I,
1: I, I either he was a 26 year old or he was like a 78 year old and he was on the grassy knoll one of the two <laughs> i would
0: say if anything he's an older person but i wasn't there i didn't see any pictures of the wizard and what was the circle what year are we talking like 2011
1: 2010 <laughs> 11 13 ish range yeah
0: prime wizard sighting era
1: Yeah, like there, there was actually a conspiracy theory that it was tony hawk in costume like just doing just being weird but he was here for too long like you could see it happening for a day or two for a publicity <laughs> stunt for like a video game or something but not for that long
0: wait was he doing tricks too
1: Yeah. Yeah. He was doing, he was doing ollies and kickflips. Okay.
0: This is a whole other level that I, yeah. Yeah. And, and
1: yeah, so he was, he would ride along and you usually saw him in that around bucks and at that little park next to where the bank is now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, you know, or downtown main street, just kicking along. Yeah. It was, it was, it was good times.
0: So that happened. Yeah. Okay. Yes, wizard, contact us, please. We have questions. <laughs>
1: we and it was talk. when, and then, and the other th- theory was that this was still when the Bismarck Wizards were around as the basketball mm. team. So the other theory mm. was that this was a promotion for them, but it was like, if it was, it was so covert <laughs> and and guerrilla that nobody got the joke and and nobody realized the connection. So, and then the wizards went out of business. So. If it yeah. was that, it didn't work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, covert weirdness. I think there's a place for that, especially in um, a place like Bismarck, where we we do tend to be a, a group thinking and don't um, stick out your head kind of place. So it'll create a new a little space for weirdness, I think, is a is a good um, civic goal for people that want to expand the possibilities. Um, we're at our 10 minute before we're going to have this hard stop, Mark. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity to check out with something. We There's a lot we haven't been able to touch on uh, that's been happening nationally. And I don't know if we want to touch on it. Um, I, I've been thinking kind of haphazardly about it and don't really have a, a full form thought. But the the whole thing about critical race theory, I would love to hear us talk about. Uh, um, what I'm thinking about now is, is another uh, brilliant, quote unquote, <laughs> and it is brilliant, um, language game from the Republicans to um, create a space where they can talk about something they don't like, but put, you create a boogeyman really that doesn't mean anything and uh, use it to hammer away at some of their other goals they don't want to hit at directly. And um, it's going to come to Bismarck. It's going to come to North Dakota. If it isn't already here, I think there was something going on in, in, in Fargo actually about critical race theory in the school board.
1: That's uh, what the, that's what the uh, part of what the recall out there is about.
0: There's a recall. Yeah. yeah. For
1: school board it, it, in, in either West Fargo or Fargo. I think okay. it's West Fargo. Yeah. There's, there's all sorts of other, some of it is COVID COVID masking and all that kind of stuff. There's a, there's a fiery contingent doing right. stuff out there.
0: Well, you know, I haven't delved into it, but what it appears to be is that it's a way to talk about systemic racism. But by not talking about it, are you saying that we're not going to talk about systemic racism, but we're going to call it critical race theory. And that's the thing we can't talk about. But it's actually systemic racism where we don't want to talk about but we don't want to say that because. Systemic racism is bad. We should be talking about that. And then the other thing we haven't had a chance to talk about, and I, and I don't know if this is, uh, we have an opportunity, Dustin, to get your thoughts on it, but Benjamin Netanyahu is out in Israel. Um, and, and and they have such an interesting um, parliamentary power structure there. But I, I don't know the full details of, but I know that it's been a, a weird kind of um, collaboration between some far right and far left groups that overtook him finally. Uh, so I think it's interesting and I don't know what it's going to mean for Biden and some of the middle East and Palestinian stuff that we're, um, still working on resolving, um, a way, a two state solution. Um, but hopefully it does get closer to some sort of long-term stable stabilization in that region. Um, but yeah, I guess, sayonara, sayonara <laughs> to Benjamin Netanyahu. One of, the, one of my favorite names to say in the world. He has such a fun name to say. I wish he was a better politician, because then I would have more fun saying his name. But just saying Netanyahu is such a cool name. I Actually, have r- written two songs named Benjamin Netanyahu, because they're such a fun thing to say that I just hear myself singing about it. I'm not going to share them share them right now, but I do love that name.
1: And, and this was his second go-around. Cause he was prime mm-hmm. minister in the 90s, and then, uh, and then there was that. Remember that rapper Mattis Yahoo, like back <laughs> in the early 2000s? Like he was yes. the, the Jewish rapper dude, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, the, the whole Israel thing it, it becomes there, there's the, the controversy over. Can you be anti-Israel without being anti-Semitic and all that kind of stuff? You know, and it it that's what they get away with, um, which is ironic because, uh, you know, it, Israel takes advantage. It, it was kind of the the prototype for wokeism, really, because they made it, you know, through their their lobbying and 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 stuff, so that you can't you're not allowed to be anti-Israel unless you want to be called a Nazi, and so. Uh, you know that's that's been their way of doing it, and that's kind of like that was like version 1.0 of of wokeism, and uh, so you know the, the dynamics there are so interesting. I mean, the geopolitics of the fact that that Israel is now very closely linked with Saudi Arabia on a military level, um, and and they've made. They've made allies with most of the Arabs that that attacked them years ago. Uh, I mean, and, all, and of course, everything in the Middle East is is either the British, French, or United Nations' fault. So, those are the three entities that are always to blame for any problems in the Middle East because they set the system up, and then walked away. So, uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it, it, they they go they their pendulum. Of their politics in Israel swings wildly one way and the other. Like, um, who was the guy? You had Ehud Barak, and and then the other short dude who looked like Napoleon was in there for a while. Uh, and and they they just yeah, they're, they're, it, Israel is a really schizophrenic political environment.
0: That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's interesting uh, that you draw the line between um, Israel and wokeism. I'll have to think about that. I mean, I, I think they have done an interesting um, uh, self-promotion where you can't be against Israel without being anti-Semite, which obviously is not true. You can you can uh, be against a nation without being against an ethnicity or a people, um, and they are they have set up a, a pseudo-apartheid system there that we should uh, call out. Much like we should have called out South Africa, but long before we did.
1: Now, it's also you know important from a historical standpoint to point out that the only reason the Palestinians don't have their own land is because the Arabs kicked them out of their countries too, the the Jordanians, the Syrians, Saudis, and uh, in, and in Egypt. All the Palestinians were, were deported back in the the fifties and sixties. So they they are a peopleless country, not just because Israel took their land, quote unquote, but because none of the other Arab countries wanted anything to do with them either. They were consi- they were, they were viewed. I mean, it was one of the only things that Israel and the Arabs in those days agreed on was that they viewed the Palestinians as leeches, basically. Right.
2: And to me, that's. I mean, that's how Jewish people are treated in a lot of European right. countries. So there <laughs> exactly. should, be an op- should-, should be an opportunity for some mutual understanding at some point. There should be. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Ryan, that Benjamin Netanyahu is an interesting name. And Benjamin <laughs> is sort of a cute nickname for little brothers in France. And so there's so much potential for the name to be totally adorable or some kind of character. But it's actually quite a an unpleasant man. So yeah. Um, I, I'm one of the good riddance people, but I, I just think he flirts with authoritarianism too much. Um, yeah, I I agree with you that people are using, well, okay, I, I'm going to agree with you, but expand on what you said about critical race theory. People are using the term really sloppily. And right. so I largely agree with you saying it's just that systemic racism that they're talking about. And not only that, I I think some people are talking about a sort of uh original sin shaming of white people that is part fact part fiction um it's way overblown it doesn't really happen nearly as much as people claim but there are scenes in which white people are shamed for being white and sort of treated like they have a certain original sin as opposed to a moral obligation to fight injustice that in a system that Benefits them right now, which is a different thing to tell people, especially to tell children. Um, you know, I don't teach my stepdaughters to feel shame over being white, but I do teach them that they have a responsibility to um, say what's right and to have respect for people of color. And and so I think that the the resistance I keep hearing when people actually articulate what they're talking about is they're like, well, the people making white children feel bad. And like, first of all, like people are really fragile and will feel bad for really pathetic reasons. And so just because someone feels sad or bad or whatever, doesn't actually mean that the fault lies with who, who provided the information that made them feel sad. Like it's possible that they're fragile, but by the, but still at the same time, if people are genuinely shaming children and like making, generating this unproductive humiliation, which I have seen in adults once in a while um, that, that as wokeism, that's not healthy or helpful, but there, yeah, there, there's just this sloppy use of these terms. And like, what to me feels really weird is like, so I've never done critical race theory work. I've done work that is in the field of psychology, that is sort of a contemporary cousin of critical race theory. Like, all these different fields have different methods and lines of inquiry, but essentially I've done work in psychology on Black identity uh, and, and how it interacts and shapes and just has a relationship with the navigation of institutions and you know, how how the the nature of someone's Black identity impacts or at least relates to how they feel about the police as an institution, how they feel about national versus local politics, like stuff like that. I've done that scholarship. So I'm not a critical race person, but like people people would accuse me of having done critical race theory just because it involves a discussion of institutions. It involves a discussion of race. And um, I'm certainly not going to accept any argument out there that the work I've done should have been banned and I shouldn't have done it like give me a break um but I I don't I can't get into this argument with that many people it's just such a waste of my time and this is going to sadly this is going to blow over in a sense like like the the absolute refusal to acknowledge you know racist past things and their impact today is going to stay but CRT 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 like that's going to pass it's going to be some new stupid thing that uh, you know just becomes the new thing to be mad at, and the outward cycle is so fast that it's both aggravating but also hilarious in some ways.
1: It's going to burn out quickly, and you know, as I, you know, I, I, on your thread yesterday that I had to walk away from after I <laughs> p- pointed out that uh, you know I was just trying to point out what what this is, and it it's the CRT is what used is. Viewed by conservatives as what used to be called white liberal guilt, you know George Carlin, Bill Maher used that term, right? So, so CRT is the the propagad, propagandization of what used to be called white liberal guilt, and I was just pointing out that you know how how conservatives view this and how you know the, the intergenerational guilt blaming thing uh, doesn't work. And it it has the opposite opposite effect on conservatives than what the people who want to talk about this stuff. And then, of course, I was told to stay in my lane, which, you know, that doesn't help either, because obviously, I mean, that thread yesterday was a like uh, a prime example of why the two political tribes just can't communicate because i'll
2: admit i haven't looked at it since i provided my comment which was trying to get back to my point yeah. and I, so i actually i'm sorry this happens sometimes something blows up and i'm just literally not looking at it and people get disrespected and
1: yeah I, and, and nobody was trying to be disrespectful or disrespective uh, you know and i just walked away because i knew that it was a losing proposition to keep going but you know there, there when when people are in, when one side is trying to say, well, you know, yes, there's there's historical problems here, but you know, current leadership is is treating, you know, the way I look at it is if we can't get current leadership to care about what it's doing to future generations vis-a-vis, national debt, unfunded liabilities, stuff like that, how can you get regular people to care about what happened five generations ago before their ancestors were even in America? You know. The, the two sides are just, you know, so far off from even being able to have a conversation. And, and neither side wants to accept the fact that, you know, blaming people today for what happened before, you know, is not the way to address what happened before. You know, educating about what happened should be the, the priority, not trying to say, well, you people owe us something for something that somebody else's ancestors did a long time ago. Like, I mean, these things are not way the the way that this whole thing is discussed is not productive at all uh, on, on either side. And
2: unfortunately, I honestly think some people are actually not trying to solve the problem. You know what I mean? Like some people are like literally their goal is not actually to accomplish that. You're saying, Hey, that's not a good way to accomplish X, Y, Z. And I'm like, honestly, I don't think they want to accomplish X, Y, Z, even though that might be the surface level claim. Um, Because yeah, if you do actually want to be effective and persuasive, like you will actually take feedback like that. And, um, but I don't think being effective is actually some people's goals. And that's, that's a conflict I have with people on the left often is actually no, no actual vision and goal that, anyone striving for the goal is like the fighting or the performance or something. So I do take your point there. I think for me, it's really difficult. This is one of those, okay, this is just one of those culture war moments where I actually really can't participate in it as a normal citizen because I have too much skin in the game. I, with my academic background, this whole debate is like extra absurd to me and extra offensive. So for me, I'm just like, (laughs) look, like, critical race theory is this thing. I have some, okay. So I did psychology, reaching into political science. Then there's people who do philosophy are rich in the political science. Like, so I, I would like mingle with a lot of political scientists and like their friends. And so I got really, and you, you get into your friends research, you go to their talks and stuff. So even though my background's in psych, you know, I have a lot of exposure then, and now to colleagues who do relevant work. And the idea of stifling their academic freedom is extremely offensive to me, and and I just find it absurd that I mean people who talked to me about it on the man and school board race they were okay about it people didn't act completely insane for the most part um, um, they just wanted to know what I thought and I told them the truth it's like this is a line of academic research at universities I support its existence because I support academic freedom. I don't think it really is relevant to what we're talking about for Mandan public schools, which is, I'm not going to take away precious classroom time that we need for literacy and numeracy and start bringing in university research. Cause that is what critical race theory is. And so you lost me when you just pulled an academia just to just shit on academia for no reason. Like, so for me, I can't really, I'm just like, look, like, and the fact that the research I've done, somebody ignorant would call it, you know, CRT, maybe. I'm just like, all right, guys, this is ridiculous. And so I'm not the best ambassador for either side, but I do think that ineff- ineffectiveness is something people aren't allergic to, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, and, and it's the, the 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 battleground seems to be in how it's being Implemented into curriculum, which makes it the new Common Core. Really, it's it's really the the Common Core people who are are leeching into this uh, debate, and and there there absolutely has to be a line that says we're going to have academic freedom, but academic freedom does not mean propaganda making its way to K twelve curriculum, and there's got to be a distinction between those two things.
2: Yeah, but I think that part of the discussion is that we already have propaganda in our schools. We do. We don't. We don't always accurately represent history. We have convenient oversimplification. That convenient oversimplification often downplays racism that we're still struggling with. And so it goes both ways. And the only way we address any of this is actually trying to grapple with it without constantly fighting. And so I, I just. I, I hate to say, but I just feel like we're screwed. Like I don't really, <laughs> so that's why I'm just waiting for it to be over. Cause I'm like, man, this just didn't, this didn't become useful. It could have been, it could have been a useful moment, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be.
0: Well, my apologies for bringing that up here. The checkout thoughts. I didn't really even realize you guys were having a thread about this. This is what I miss by not being on Facebook, I guess.
1: You don't miss it. it, it, <laughs> no, it you wasn't... avoid it.
0: <laughs> right. I avoid it. It's beautiful. It wasn't
2: a thread that acompl- maybe, maybe, accomplished a little something like maybe there's someone who read my part and thought, Oh, that's an interesting example. I'll share that with someone who needs to better understand what it actually is. But uh, yeah, Yeah, good intentions didn't play out.
0: Right. Well, I I would, my anticipation is that CRT is going to be something we're going to be talking about until 2022 and it's going to be a big wedge issue that we're going to have to listen to and it'll be silly and pointless uh, because people will be talking, um, over each other's heads, um, talking about different things to, to different folks. And, um, you're right, Ellie, in closing, there are, uh, there is other propaganda that happens in schools. Um, I'm thinking about critical coal theory particularly <laughs> that we have here in North Dakota funded by the, the Lignite council. Um, uh,
1: but no one's talking they about call critical, it economic development,
0: <laughs> critical coal theory. Yeah. Uh, it's taking over the schools. Um, but this has been a great call. Uh, you guys have a great holiday weekend. Happy birthday, America. This has been the No Name Podcast. We'll talk soon, guys. Thanks.